Good morning, Draft Maniacs. Welcome to another episode of Home and Away. It's your boy Tyler Rucker hosting the No Ceilings crew is being a little dangerous, allowing me to have full control of an open mic, but I'm joined by someone special, the one and only Corey Tolbo. We're going to talk some draft today. Corey, how are you doing? You already know who it is. It's your boy. Uh, you know, I'm actually so happy to be on this show with you, and I'm going to tell you why. It's because there was some slander thrown out on this podcast yesterday to start off, and I feel blessed as uh, a resident New York football giant fan to just say, you play to win the games. Yes. The ultimate win in football are Super Bowl championships, Rucker. You're a Vikings fan. Oh, what yeah, would you do for what would you do for one? I probably couldn't say it on the air without us getting banned, but uh yeah, you know, I don't know what a Super Bowl is because I've never won one. Um my team has never won one. So for everyone that's catching up, apparently there was some slander of Mr. Eli Manning as a Just catching straights. Catching yeah. straights. And look, you win one Super Bowl, you get hot, you get a little lucky. That's happened historically. Yes. Okay, through the the, the the history of football. But there are only five people who have won two Super Bowl MVPs. Eli Manning's one of them. Okay? And and look, you, you could sit and you could hate on him all you want, but the guy won two. He brought us two. Name a Super Bowl champion that didn't have a good defense, that didn't have a good offensive line. I think you'd be probably hard-pressed to find it. Football is a team sport. Eli Manning took us to where we needed to go. I will accept no slander by Detroit Lions fans. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Shout out Mr. Metcalf. Apparently they got a little aggressive on it. I can't wait to go back and listen. But yeah, you know, anytime Eli Manning gets brought up, of course, we're going to we're going to rattle the cages a little bit with Mr. Tulliba. So, I'm glad that you, you know, put your foot down, stuck your guns. And and I have to back up you a little bit because I know Eli doesn't have the best regular season performance, but Hey, when the lights are the brightest, when it's the most important, when everyone's a little nervous, Mr. Eli Manning rose to the occasion and got two, Iron Man two rings two Iron rings. Man. Yeah. Took down the Patriots empire. One Everybody in Lambo. Come on. <laughs> Come on. All right. That's it. Let's right. talk about some basketball. We're, we're okay. There we go. See, we get a little bit of a vent to, you know, Rattle the cages, loosen up a little bit, because we do talk about basketball all year round, but it's draft season. And, and why I wanted to have you on this episode, I know we usually have some random guests, some some outsiders, but Corey, me and you haven't really been able to talk in depth about this draft class because we've been grinding with no ceilings, grinding on projects, you know, online, away from the, off the line, if you want to put it that way. Shout out Vince Vaughn. But we haven't had time. You know, I've been talking too much to Metcalf. I've been talking too much to the other guys. And I wanted to get your Look, thoughts. Off the line is such an obscure Vince Vaughn <laughs> reference on from the intern to the intern. <laughs> that is I, such an obscure reference that so few people picked up on. But it's an underrated film. I'm telling you guys, I'm, it's going to get a little crazy. I don't know what I'm going to do today on this pod. <laughs> You guys might be like, hey, Rucker can't host Home and Away ever again. But um, on the line, we're going to put this episode, and I, I want to get 
your draft thoughts. We, we're going to have this be a little bit of a draft vent because me and you haven't, you know, opened up the doors, let all of our feelings out about how we're, we're feeling about this class. You've been hitting the road scouting. I've been hitting the road scouting. And I feel like we're finally getting to the point where it's like, okay, we're, we're getting a good vibe for some of these top names, even some of these lower names that are rising up boards. And I'm going to let you start it out, Mr. Talibo. Like, what are you, what are you feeling about this draft class so far? Are you intrigued? Is it, is it living up to your expectations? Are you thinking it's a little early with some of these guys like, you know, Derek Whitehead, Derek Lively kind of coming back from injuries. Nick Smith just made his debut last week for Arkansas. Where, where are you really at right now with this class? All right. So my overall feelings for this class is obviously I think the top two guys have more than lived up to expectations. So I would agree. Yes. When you're talking about your, your strength of a draft class and you have your, you know, quote unquote generational guys who are actually living up to that right away. Two thumbs up from, from me. Yes. I think things uh, get murky after that in that. I, I still think that third spot is up for grabs. I don't think anybody has just, you know, taken it from, from anybody else. My, I think the, the lottery talent in this draft has proven to be really strong. I, I think that they've come out mostly lived up to expectations. Uh, I, I think when we start the year, we we forget that there is going to be a transition for for freshmen to catching up to the speed of the game, playing with new teammates, learning a new offense, playing in a, a new defense where they actually have to defend, or they might there might be some consequences. Um, you know, you don't defend in college; you might ride the pied pony. So. With all that said, I think the one through 14 guys in that range, maybe 15, 16, I think they've all pretty much lived up to their preseason hype, which I think for most drafts, I mean, at, at this point last year, you know, guys like Caleb Houston and, and you know, uh, a number of guys that we had in the top 10 coming into the year had already kind of been like, yeah, I don't know about this guy. Right. So I, I think we're, we're on the right path. However, I'm a little nervous after we get out of that, like, 14, 15, 16, 17 range for the the depth of the draft. Mm -hmm. You know, I think us, the draft sickos, we're so in, you know, in this thing that we kind of have the background on these players and we're like, oh, they showed these flashes in this tournament or whatever. But I I don't know how many of those guys have showed a lot kind of, you know, after. And I think what that in part has done and where I know you and I are always a fan of these guys. I think some of these older guys who have, you know, had really solid outings have a real chance to, to move up and, and stick in those spots. And maybe it's just, you go, well, they're experienced. They should be playing well. But I also think that these guys have made real jumps. And with the question marks of some of the other guys in this class, I think some of the older guys like a Chris Murray, like a Marcus Sasser have an opportunity to kind of leapfrog them and stay there. So I'm still in wait and see mode. We haven't really gotten to to conference play. Um, But, you know, I, I think that the draft class ultimately is it's, there's a lot to play out a lot of reason to be excited, but also a lot of reasons to kind of pump the brakes and and realize, you know, there's, there's only going to be a few impact guys. So let's try to identify which of those guys actually are going to be the impact guys. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think you're spot on with the, I'm even looking at my board and right after I get to, you know, outside the lottery, you you do start getting some question marks. You start getting some, okay, well, 
is there a lot of guys in this class that were were excited about what they could become and and like I always say chasing the idea of what this player could be instead of what they are right now and obviously these guys aren't finished products but I I feel like even with myself right now I'm trying to put guys up in a range where I'm like well they're going to hit their stride eventually this year they're going to you know take that next step it's just a little bit of a slow start or but then you keep looking at some guys and, and the upperclassmen really do have a shot in this class to make some noise. I, I mean, as you just hinted, Chris Murray for Iowa, Keegan's brother has been off to an outstanding start this year. He's looked great. Um, Jalen Wilson of Kansas has been good. Marcus Sasser has been good. I think we want to see kind of his efficiency, maybe take a little bit of a turn, but there's a lot of really intriguing upperclassmen. Colby Jones, I wrote about at No Ceilings last week. There's there's some intriguing guys, but there's also some. I just saw guys. Trace. There you go. You know, like I, and I and, and and here's the thing: like Trace is off to a good start. I saw him at Rutgers, and for those who haven't been at the rack or Jersey Mike's Arena, I think it's probably one of the five toughest environments in college basketball. Yeah, that that team is ten and three over the last few years against ranked opponents. They took down the number one team in the country at home last year. It's it's truly, if you have, I mean, there's not many reasons to go to New Jersey, but if you do find yourself in that uh, awful state, you should definitely find your way to a Rutgers game because I think it's probably one of the best environments to evaluate prospects because it is just one thing goes wrong and that place is on their feet, loud as all hell, and it's really fun seeing how these draft prospects handle that environment. It's it's you can't use that as like, oh, he this guy maybe didn't have his best game in that environment. But it, I think just seeing the poise and how they handle it. Trace Jackson Davis, he really impressed me. And I, I think that he ultimately is going to be a guy who might have even though he's a senior like he he's. I could see him landing at the end of the first round because even though I think that he plays in an antiquated offense in college, me watching him, I'm like, Oh, but instead of just throwing him on the block every single time, what if they ran him off like handoffs and horn sets and, you know, let him initiate more of the break and grab and go and uh, you know, opened up that playmaking a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I obviously I want to see, the shot come along. I don't think he's going to be shooting a ton of threes. He's always been a middling free throw shooter, but there's just a lot to like from a value perspective for a guy who knows how to play the game. I was a little upset that Jalen Hood Scafino had to miss that game at Rutgers. That was the real reason I I made my way to Jersey. Um, but but a guy like Jackson Davis impressed me. So I you know I think this the upperclassmen are going to have moments you know throughout this season um, and and really you know kind of take advantage of those idea guys that that you mentioned. Yeah, I, I'm heading this weekend, actually, to Vegas to go watch Indiana's play in Arizona. And, and I've been a big believer of TJD. I think he has a spot in the next level. I, I think it's... Is this the idea, Corey, in which evaluators and fans were overthinking with just this guy? It's like, we want him... Like, everyone's like, hey, if he just had an outside shot. But it's like, well... Even if he doesn't have an outside shot, a team might be like, hey, we have a great role for this guy where he comes in, does damage around the basket. He's, you know, seventh guy in our rotation, eighth guy early on in his career. But those are the upperclassmen I I feel like we all overthink. And I'm even saying NBA front offices, and I'm not saying I have a crystal ball, but it's like 
this is the singles. This is the doubles. When you're trying to swing for the fences and, and swing for potential. We just saw Andrew Nimhard last night. Oh, yeah. Crazy against the Warriors. And everyone's like, you know, wow, gosh, he, he looks unbelievable for value at 31. And it's like, well, he could always play. He just wasn't putting up 30 a game because he understood his role. Right. He was a damn good basketball player for his team. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I think what people don't realize about wanting to hit singles or or a double is that sometimes those singles bat a, a runner in. It's not just getting on base. Sometimes you're actually driving a run in, right? Yes. And and I think that the Memphis Grizzlies are the perfect example of a team that has not really cared a, about age. They got their superstar. They got their, you know, maybe their number two guy in in Jaron. But then they went and got a Desmond Bain. You know, they got Brandon Clark. They took LaRavia and Roddy. And they're taking all these guys that know how to play. And I think sometimes we forget that these upperclassmen, even though they might be a little older, it doesn't mean they're done developing. Yes. I, look, Desmond Bain had a ton of fans on draft Twitter. Right. They draft Twitter definitely got that one right. But I think even the people that were highest on Desmond Bain probably didn't foresee him being one of the best shooting guards in the league this early right, in his right. career. Right. So I, I think when you put these guys in the right system around the right teammates at the right time, even guys who are a little bit older have a chance to, you know, really, really outperform their draft stock. And we look back and go, oh my God. Why Why did this guy drop so far? And it's like, but we don't learn because we still want to take the shot on the guy who is just all tools, no feel, no, you know, like it maybe shows flashes here and there. And really the chances of, of hitting that home run are slim to none and you're more likely to, to strike out. So, I mean, look, I'm not saying to to fully go all in on upperclassmen. It's just that there there's real value to be had. And I think Nemhard is the perfect example of that. In, in this last draft class, because that kids come in mature playing in a system where, you know, people share the ball and their shooters and there's athleticism and their spacing and good coaching. And he just found himself in a, in the right role. He might've gone to another team and he could be riding, you know, in the G league right now, but he found the right spot. And we're going to look back and probably be like this guy, there's no way he should have went, you know, in the second round. So, right. you know, I, I think that's something that we, we we definitely have to consider as evaluators and look at what are the common denominators between these older upperclassmen that actually do thrive. Cause that maybe that's a white space in, in, you know, this draft scene that we're in that, you know, we, we don't, and I think we do a good job at no ceilings of always kind of pumping the upperclassmen when we have um, the time to. So, but I think there, I, I think there's some real value in these guys that, that people always overlook every year. Completely agree. Um, Let's get let's get back to the the meat and potatoes. So so here's what I'm going to let you do. You get to pick a guy, anyone you want to talk about that me and you haven't gone into detail about. Anyone you're just vibing on. It could be a potential top five pick. It could be a guy later in the first round. But the world is your oyster. You get to pick Mr. Tullibaugh because you're the guest. H- hit me with it. Who are you vibing on lately? All right. Um. I mean, uh, let's let's just do it because I feel like we've been in since since the summer. Let's talk about Asar Thompson. Let's do it. Um, I, so you've you've got to go for everyone listening that hasn't followed up. Let me just throw this in there. Sorry, Corey, to cut you off, but 
you went to the overtime elite pro day. You saw them in person. Um, I think you even wrote about them. You've had a lot of analysis about it. You came on our no ceilings NBA draft show podcast. And then I just went and saw them um, play Hillcrest up here in Arizona. So for everyone listening, we've had we've had some some vibe. Me and Corey have also been trying to work on a piece that will be released in the future. But I feel like me and you have had some Asar thoughts before the season started. And then we finally shared them together. And I was like, thank you, Corey. This is why I love you, because we always think alike. So what what are you vibing about Asar? What what's your thoughts lately? So I'm also going to see Asar today or tonight um in Brooklyn. Hopefully I get there in time. It's going to be a, a mad dash, and uh, but I, hopefully I don't think I'll hit too much traffic. So fingers crossed. Pray for fingers me. Fingers crossed. I feel like, you know, everybody's been so hot on Amen because he's such a fantastic playmaker that we're kind of sleeping on Asar when I think if we we just sit and look at what are the strides that each guy made from last year to this year, I really think like Asar is kind of get, and look, I, I think in the last ESPN mock Asar was, you know, fifth. So uh, let's not try to, you know, make this conversation about Asar dropping thing right. you know, to, to out of the lottery or something. But I think that like Asar should be talked at, uh, talked about, as a top five talent, talent this draft way more than he is. And and I realize these overtime elite guys, it's a weird thing because they're on Amazon prime. Uh, not everybody has Amazon prime. Not everyone's going out of their way to watch Amazon prime all the time. You know, it, I, it's just, they're not as available as some of the other guys. Their highlights aren't going to be on sports center, right? It's, it's just something out of sight, out of mind. But when I saw Asar at the pro day and he was, he was coming off an injury. So he wasn't looking like super bouncy or anything, but he still had moments athletically where I was like, Whoa, the fluidity is, is really impressive in person. He's just, he looks like he glides around the floor. But one of the things I was hyper-focused on with these guys is like, not even makes and misses, but what does your form look like this year compared to last year? And do I think that that could be sustainable in a real way in an NBA uh, offense. And I think the reason that you and I have been so in on Asar is because one, like that form is really rebuilt and it's not perfect by any means. There are some inconsistencies, but he's shooting it almost 40% this year. I think it's listed at 42.9% on the website, but I did the math and they're a little off, but it's almost 40%. And just the way it visually looked to me, I was like, that's a fluid jumper like that there's nothing i can really point to that go broken like with amen i can point to some things and i'm like that's kind of broken like he i I know that they're working with him but an nba team might be like all that work you just did well we want you to start over again i don't think uh, that's a sar i think an nba team would be like okay that's a really good base for us to work with and obviously the work he's doing has uh, you know, has really benefited him because he's shooting it well. He's scoring well. He's defending well. And obviously, you know, like we talk about how hard the OT is to evaluate because these are kids who are on the older side of the freshman class and they're playing against guys like Bryson Tiller who are sophomores in high school some nights. They're playing these, you know, Hillcrest and all. The, so the, you know, they're 
a lot of times playing down in competition, but obviously just the eye test says their athletic tools, their skills are so much higher that you could still kind of give them a, a proper evaluation, even though it may be hard. And they have freedom, which I like. You know, I always mention like the OTE for these guys. Like Lamelo Ball had this crazy freedom in Australia, and at times it was an absolute nightmare. He was taking shots that, like, if he was in a college system, there's very few coaches I think that would have allowed him to play that way. But ultimately, that freedom allowed him to learn what he can and can't do, and you know what is a good shot, what's what maybe isn't, and he's you know he's reined it in a little bit in the NBA and shot it much better. I, but I just think there's something special about Asar, and I think the the role that he has, it's just a little bit more translatable than than Amen. And I think there's something to that because I think if it, if Amen lands in the right system, he's the primary ball handler. He's got a bunch of shooters around him. The dude is going to be impossible to keep out to keep out of the paint. And even if he doesn't, you know, knock down shots at a high clip you know, he'll still bring value as a guy who pressures the rim and finds his teammates. But I also think there's a world where he he goes to a team with a couple other ball handlers, you know, teams that have been in the lottery before and have a bunch of guys who already kind of play that role. He might struggle to find his footing early on because he's going to be like, how do I adjust now that the ball isn't always in my hands? Whereas Asar has already made that adjustment. He's not, he's used to not playing with the ball all the time, but he also has shown that like he can make really impressive reads too as a passer. Like he's he's kind of got both. Maybe it's not as high level as as Amen, and p- maybe part of that's just reps. But I think that he just has a clearer spot where he could slide in and contribute as a role player. You know, almost like like AJ Griffin right now. He's slid in so seamlessly, and obviously Asar is not the shooter that that AJ is. Right. 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 But he's managed to find a role by just being an off-ball guy and and I would bet almost anything that as the years progress AJ will start getting more on-ball reps in in that offense and creation reps but right away he was just like all right I know what I could do to fit into this offense I'm going to catch and shoot I'm going to run off movement and I'm going to get out and transit I'm just going to get easy points I think Asar is a guy who can find easy points for himself at the next level I'm right there with you I I, I... I love how you put all of that because going, I, I watched the pro day um, via YouTube shout, shout out overtime elite, but obviously watching it on TV and watching it in person is two different worlds. So that's why I went to go see them, especially after talking to you and hearing your thoughts. I went into that game that I watched and I was a little hesitant on a man just because I wanted to, everyone was hyping him like, Oh, this is the third pick. This is the third pick. And as I've always said, I want to get my own thoughts about someone before I start buying into everybody's outside noise. But I was very intrigued with the SAR and I, I left there and I think I even texted you and I said, I believe a man will get drafted first, like between the two of them. But I said, if I was in a front office, I would be banging the table for a SAR. And what I meant by that is a man was, I was pleased. I was like, okay, this, this dude's a monster. He's very um, good. He's very good. I understand why everyone thinks he's third. He's he's legit. I was very very like okay. I'm in. I'm excited. But I I I felt it was very easy for him when he had the ball in his hand. When he didn't have the ball in his hand, I felt myself catching him a couple times, being like, "What are you doing? You're just you're watching. Like, what are you doing? Like, how how are you impacting now? Like, you got to get moving." With a SAR, it felt all smooth. 
Like everything felt smooth. If, even if he ha- didn't have the ball in his hands, I always felt like he understood where to go, where to be, where to find lapses in the defense, where to cut back door, or he would get a, a rebound and in transition, know where the ball is supposed to go right away. It just felt he was more ready for any role to transition to at the next level. And that's why, like, I feel like some people have, you know, draft fans have like kind of jumped on us of like, you guys just don't like the Thompson twins. And I'm like, no, that's not true at all. I just want <laughs> them both to go to the right fit. And I think a man, if he goes to a team that has a lot of ball handlers, like say you went to Orlando right now or Houston. Yeah. That on paper, that sounds really exciting. But then all of a sudden that's a lot of guys that need the ball in their hands that I'm trying to figure out like, okay, who is going to thrive in that? And a man might be able to thrive anywhere. But I'm just thinking that a SAR could have that more natural transition because he knows he's a little bit more polished off the ball. Like I, I felt good about his shot in warmups. The SAR shot I felt was robotic, and then the game started and it was like sped up ten times. And I was like, okay, so you're just you're working on it with a serious mindset before the game, like each rep, and then the game started and I think his first touch, he was a catch and shoot three and it was lightning quick and it was nothing but net. And I was like, okay, I'm on the edge of my seat now. Let's, let's, let's buckle up. So I like them both a lot, but I'm right there with you. It's just, I think the the fit and the role is going to be interesting. And I, it would not shock me if they're both top five picks when no, all things it, are sudden done. Not, not at all, especially because they're going to get in workouts and, and yes. look, NBA teams are very familiar. Yes. With these guys. They're very familiar, right? You know, at the pro day, I think there were 25 teams there. There yeah. was a pro day yesterday um, in Manhattan for the City Reapers. So NBA t- at the NBA uh, Player yeah. Association. Players office, Association. Right? You know, like, they're, nice. like these guys are not going to be strangers to the, the draft world, but you're going to get in workouts and it's not just going to be we had some scouts at the pro day. You know, it's going to be the general managers and the president of basketball operation and the coach. And it's going to be a lot more guys who are going to be heavily involved in the decision making who are watching them in these workouts. And they're going to be like, wow, like these kids, top tier athletes, like, you know, I, I think in an open gym, uh, like I'm still a little more weary about Amen, but the, the draft is far away. His shot can improve tremendously since you know, from now until then, right now, it, I mean, he's shooting 15%. He needs drastic, drastic improvements. When I saw him, he was struggling to hit open shots and in, you know, just shooting around. I think Asar, he's a guy who could be like, oh, did you know Asar hit 15 to 23s in, in, in the workout? Like, and, and I think that Asar, I mean, Amen doesn't really have anywhere to go. I, one and two are, are settled. Uh, Amen is either going to be the third pick or he'll drop a little bit. I don't think he'll drop too much. I think if if his play right now hasn't dropped him down boards, I don't think his play is going to, even if he stagnates the rest of the year, right? But right. I think Asar is a guy who can get into a workout and be like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, I know everyone's talking about Amen, but like you said, someone's going to be like, but what about his brother, right? Like maybe he's the guy. So I, I think when when the decision makers see these guys up close, it, it you know, could, we're really going to hear the names heat up in a real way. We're going to see guys post more videos. People are going to fans. Their teams are going to be out of the playoff picture. They're going to be invested in the draft. And and these guys, they'll, their names will really start to heat up outside of just the sickos. But I, I do think Asar has got a chance to 
be right there with them. Like you said, two top five picks. It wouldn't shock me if they ended up going three and four. Maybe that's not what I would personally do, but I it, it's totally possible that it's it's Vic, Scoot, Amen, Asar in some some order. Yeah, completely agree. Um, let's talk. Let's let's talk. Pivot a little bit because you had uh, a certain player you were very very high on coming into the year, and I'm going to give you your praise. Because you were more confident to go out on a limb and, and have him extremely high. And he's been buzzing lately. Brandon Miller, Alabama. What what have your your takeaways been? Have you been as impressed as you're expecting? Or is the you know the crowd that's pumping the two point percentage correct? Or do you think that's a little overreaction? Or what would you like to see from him moving forward? Because he's been fantastic and you were you were high on that since you watched him in high school. You're like, hey, this this kid going to Bama has got a real shot to be something. So, you know, you're a genius, and all oh, of us well, are below you. Okay. Everyone knows that about me. <laughs> um, I, I, I've been obviously thrilled because Brandon mm-hmm. Miller has made me look pretty smart early on. I, I, I think for me, it was just like, hey, can we not overthink this? Like, he's 6'9", he can handle the ball, he could pass, and I think he could shoot. And in high school, maybe the three-point percentage, um, which similar, I know he's getting Jabari comps. I, I don't think that's a very clean comp. As somebody who I think this year has tried and is in the process of taking the, hey, NBA draft comps are good, but let's let's make the right ones. And, yes. you know, let's not just uh, take the narrative of a guy like Jabari who wasn't really known as a shooter and then became the shooter of last draft. Uh, I don't think Brandon Miller is going to be the three point shooter throughout the course of the year that Jabari was, but I also think his in between game is more polished. And I think his finishing is going to, you know, level out because, you know, he's still, he is big. He is fluid. And I think he's going to, you know, find more ways to get himself easy points in the paint. Uh, Maybe those half court numbers aren't going to be where they, they are, but, I think people are, you know, in that regard, people are really worried. He's not the this crazy athlete. Neither was Jabari. I think he's a little bit, I think he's way more fluid than Jabari is as a mover. But I also think that, I really think when you're that size, athleticism is like kind of overrated. Yeah, you know, I really think that this league has proven time and again that like, obviously if you're a plus athlete along with skill and feel, that is what could take you into like all NBA, all star territory. But I just think when you're that big, it, you don't have to be the craziest athlete in the world because, you know, it's it, as long as you you understand the game and you understand where you're supposed to be on the floor and, and where your teammates are, like you're going to find ways to get to your spots. And he's a spots guy. Like in, in high school, he lived in the mid range, right? He was, he was a guy that was, you know, taking a couple of dribbles, making a quick move, hitting a step back. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to see a little bit more of that throughout the college season, but we might not. And but I think that that's something that will ultimately return. I, that mid range scoring, too, was what led me to believe he was going to be a good three point shooter, because I think it's easier to project somebody inside out when you have like that mid range shooting ability to stretch it out, because now you're just getting used to the distance. You don't have to do anything to necessarily adjust your form or anything. Whereas, you know, if you're a three-point shooter, I think it's harder to be like, all right, let me find the rhythm to get to the mid-range spots now and and add that. So I, I don't know. I, I just think that it was like a people kind of overthought him. And you look at lists and you're like, all right, he's ranked 19th or 20th in, in this draft. 
that's I'm going to keep him in that range when, you know, there's like a bunch of like bigs or or smaller guards maybe who are ranked higher. And you're just like, all right, but that's not where the NBA game is is headed towards. It might maybe he people thought he was the 19th rated college prospect, but, you know, translating to the NBA versus what college coaches are looking for are two different different things small guards can dominate in college it's something that we get angry about a lot of the times where we're like we're watching for draft prospects and it's like oh my god like this point guard is taking another like jeremy roach again like what are we doing like just pass let's get the ball to one of these draft prospects so we could evaluate him and uh so i i think brandon miller was just an overthink guy it's just like he just he looks the part he played the part and I think defensively, I was so high on him because if you watched him in so many different contexts pre-college, he was playing big man. He was guarding out on the perimeter. And uh, it was just like that versatility. Like NBA teams want that. They want switchable guys. And so I, I don't know. I, I think sometimes we need to realize like, all right, maybe not the gaudiest stats on some of these guys. Uh, again, why I was so high on Jarris. Like I think, He's an NBA body. He's an NBA versatility skill set. He's not he's not going to be a guy that averages much more than 10 points per game in college because, you know, teams aren't going to run things through him. This Houston team is not going to run things through him. They have right. two incredible guards. But in the NBA, it, an NBA team might. You know, so I, I we have to start looking at, like, these prospects. Like, okay, this is what they could do in college, but when they get to a different game, can they still – do that do they have the skill set and i think brandon miller is a guy who's still gonna have the skill set in the nba that it'll translate yeah i i love how you put that because there is a lot of guys that people are gonna get to a point where they're looking at mock drafts and big boards and they're like why is this guy projected ahead he's not even averaging this points per game and nick smith jr should be ahead of jairus walker or whatever it was and it's like you we have to project ahead too you're not just you're not drafting just the college guy. You're drafting the guy that you think he's going to turn into a three-year, five-year down-the-road weapon at the next level. And the Brandon Miller thing's been fascinating because, you know, that Bama team came in, they're always tough. But then he was buzzing like crazy coming into the year, like through preseason. It was all you heard was Brandon Miller looks fantastic. Every one of his teammates were talking about defending him. They're like, man, he's a monster. I mean, he's he's six nine, two hundred listed at that. I've, he he looks lengthy as heck. Um, he's averaging nineteen and nine as a wing, but he's just been battling inside. And, and I think a lot of people are fascinating with like, well, his two point percentage is terrible. Like, okay, fine. He he's he's shooting forty percent from the field, thirty four percent from two, forty six percent from three. I'm not too worried about that right now. I know we're eight games in the year. We got a long way to go. Now, if it gets it's down a small to that sample point, size, exactly small sample size. He's also just, just battling in the paint. And I love to see that from a, if you want to call it a skinny wing, because he's just, his body's filling out. And I would counter that with like, Hey, I love the fact that he's almost averaging 19 and 10 as a potential small forward at the next level. You know, it's unbelievable for a freshman. We don't see guys that just have a desire to go live in the paint and hit the boards. So I've loved everything I've seen from him. And I think he's also at that point where he's the guy. He's getting the attention of being the guy on the other team. Teams are when you when you start the season out hot, now opposing teams have film on you. 
And then they're going to work to try to stop you and prevent you. So you're getting everybody's kitchen sink thrown at you. And you have to learn how to adjust to that. Learn to adjust to double teams and constant pressure and getting some of the best defenders in the country on you. And I think we've seen that. But, I mean, especially the North Carolina game, he struggled. But, you know, right after the game, Hubert Davis is like, hey, he's an absolute pro. That guy is a legit. And it's like, yeah, how many coaches have said that after a just terrible shooting performance? It just shows how much talent he has yeah and even in that carolina game right like in i think i don't know i don't remember if it was the end of the second half or one of the overtimes like he had a a stretch where he had five points really quickly and it's like he was struggling the whole game but he still kept his confidence that it's like all right like i gotta bring us home too and when he had the opportunity when he had the ball in his hands like made big shots hits you know like took the ball to the hole got to the free throw line so i think there's even when you look at the overall, like you can't box score watch. You, you still right. have to look for little things and be like, oh, I like that he, you know, knew the moment and he was still confident. Like, all right, if I'm going to be one of the guys, I still have to be one of the guys. It doesn't matter. I'm not afraid to go two for 20. I'm okay. Like if I go four for 20, great. But if I, you know, I might go two for 20 if I take these shots and miss, that's fine. I got it. I'm trying to win. I'm not worried about my percentages. I, I think my play on the court is going to speak for itself. I don't need to be a guy who has 50, 40, 90. I want to win this game. I'm competitive. I think that matters too. So I, I think Brandon Miller is, you know, like you said, he's a guy that is just, he's perfectly suited for the NBA. And And when we look at some of these guys, like, that's that's how we have to evaluate it. We have to look at it through that lens. It's the reason that everyone was shocked that Scotty Barnes went ahead of Jalen Suggs, even though Jalen Suggs had a significantly better college resume, right? It's it's sometimes these guys are, are looking at NBA tools. And when you have like the mesh of a guy like Brandon Miller who has production along with NBA tools, that's when you start getting some ideas. Um so I, I, I think he's going to continue to have a big year. He, maybe he ends up at 16 and a half, 17 points per game. Maybe he's not a 20 you know, point per game score. It's really hard in college to score 20 points per game, you know, yes, like, yes. And, and it's almost unheard of for a freshman to do it. So when he, they get into consistent conference play, he'll start seeing the film. When teams play each other a second time, they're going to be like, all right, this is what we did the first time. Now we know some of their plays. We could take away certain things. All right. We, we realize, all right, he took two dribbles to the left. And he pulled up a, a couple of times. So now we're going to push him right. How is he going to handle that? But that's part of the evaluation process because you can see how these guys respond to the adjustments. Um, but I think he's talented enough that he's going to do it. And I think his finishing is going to get better throughout the year. Completely agree with you. Um, it won't It won't shock me if he's even going to go on a little stretch here of putting up some scary numbers because I think there's only a matter of time before everything's coming together. The outside shot, finishing around the basket. And I do like how you said that when you're, when you're six, eight, six, nine, we don't need you to be Vince Carter with the athleticism. (laughs) We need you to be able to get your shot off of, you know, bigger opponents. And, you know, obviously this isn't the greatest comparison because he's a, he's a unicorn when it comes to this area, but like Luca isn't the greatest athlete, but Luca knows where to get to his spots and Luca knows how to read defenders and get his shot off and be six, eight. And, you know, he's, I like, I'm not comparing them. So everyone calm down, but I'm just saying that, that idea of like, you can't be dominant unless you have great athleticism. It's like Luka Doncic would like something to say about that. He's pretty damn good. And we're not putting him in a dunk contest anytime soon. 
Well, even going away from Luca and every, I mean, that's why all the people who had seen Luca are banging the table. Like this guy's a generational problem. Yes. Like, he is a generational problem. Like, what are we doing here? Yes. Right. Like the people who really watched him, not to mention he held his own in, you know, against like Russell Westbrook on an Island. You know, as yeah. like a 16 year old, but it's pretty you know, good. Whatever. Pretty good but, um, you know, even like in the, the Tatum draft, right? Like Josh Jackson versus Tatum. It was like, Josh Jackson's a way better athlete. He's going to be uh, this creator. He's going to be a Paul George type of guy. And people were like, yeah, I don't know about Tatum. You know, Tatum's kind of like a, he's a good athlete, but he's not anything special. Shoots a lot of tough shots. What's that going to be in the NBA? And it was like so clear if you watch both of them, like <laughs> that the athleticism difference is not going to be the thing that makes the difference because the skill level was just so much more apparent. Um, so I, and, and like, obviously, you know, the Celtics made that decision. They made the right move there. But I think that even like Tatum, like he, there were question marks for a guy like him about the kind of shots he was taking and what his efficiency was going to look like. And that breeds the, the larger point that these guys are draft prospects and like nobody can see the end result. But there are definitely flashes that let you know what the end result might be. And it's just about actually weighing the expectations. And if that end result is, you know, what the, the likely outcome could be. And if there are a range of outcomes like Josh Jackson, maybe in another world, he goes to a good situation with a good support staff around him. He has his things together and he, he puts it together, right? Like maybe that, but the out, the likelihood of that was obviously a lot less than, than what, you know, people wanted to give him credit for. So I, I, you know, I I think we have to look at and, and evaluate and be like, all right, how much more valuable is skill level when you also have than than like just being the best athlete on the floor when you have a skill set to back it up? And I think that's why some people are starting to put Brandon Miller ahead of the Thompson twins who have that athleticism but have some questionable skills. Even we just broke those down. Ultimately, I don't, you know, we'll see what happens on draft night. And Brandon Miller's got to keep this level of play up because he's actually going to be in the spotlight playing on ESPN. Uh, and it'll be much more available to people, but uh, it's a, it's definitely a worthwhile debate. Obviously I think it's a case by case basis. I don't think you can make any just definitive statements about what, which one is, is better than the other, but it matters. If Scoot was just a great athlete and not as skilled as he is, he wouldn't be the number two pick, right? He'd, or maybe he would be, but he wouldn't be this viewed as this potential, you know, all NBA guard. So you have to have, the skill to maximize the athleticism. Love this out of you, Corey. Okay. We're, we're pivoting one more time. Pivot. Shout out friends. We're going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You get to talk about anyone you want. You either could talk about who's impressing you or who are you watching closely? AKA you're not there yet. You can't come around them or you're, you're starting to get concerned. You know, we could do a little hot or cold right now, if you want to call it that way. But, um, I, I'm just trying to pick the mind of Corey Tolaba. So, okay. so where are we at right now when it comes to the draft process? What name's getting you excited? What name are you kind of being like, oh boy, I don't feel good because I'm going to have to watch five hours of your film to to get an opinion. All right, let's do a little what I'll coin as drop coverage. See, this is why I love you. Everybody right? knows we, this. We love themes here. Yes. I want to talk about the Duke guys a little bit. Oh boy! Well, I'm right. Just and, an hour, <laughs> and and uh, Filipowski is a guy I'm writing about, uh, which will be out on Wednesday. 
So I, loves, I, I, yeah. I'd love I to think, talk about him, but if you want to save those thoughts for the for the on the line, we could okay. we no, we could absolutely talk about him a little bit. But the guys that I'm actually more interested in in the thoughts are the the guys who maybe you're dropping a little bit. It's it's Derek and Lively. Uh, I, I think that you know Lively. This is I, I think they're both predictable outcomes of of what happened. You know, Derek coming off of this this injury, it's no surprise that he's kind of starting slow. Lively. Also came off an injury, uh, not playing with a very, you know, an elite level playmaker. You know, there's, there is no Taron Armstrong on that team. That's going to be able to find him in all sorts of directions. Uh, Maybe Proctor gets there by the end of the year, I guess. Maybe he he shows flashes, but I, you know, I have some question marks about some of his decision-making as well. But I, I don't think we should panic because these guys are struggling to come out of the gates. But what I wonder is, were we kind of not looking for certain things? And we were, you know, we saw Dariq hit a lot of tough shots, but you know, I had a lot of question marks about Dariq coming into the year because he really loved settling for those tough shots. He really, really, really loved it. And a lot of the guards did Nick Smith, like taking tough shots, Keontae, like taking tough shots, but Dariq, I felt like especially, Maybe it was because he's a little bigger that he felt like he could just get it over these guys. And and when he had it going, he would knock them down. But sometimes I'd be like, that's just awful process and awful result. And I, I do have my concerns with Dariq, even when he gets fully healthy. Is he a guy that, because of his size in high school, he was able to maybe make his way to the hoop a little bit more freely? And you saw maybe him mix it up a little bit. Versus now, where the athleticism might be a little bit more even, is he just going to be a guy who he's got to hit tough shots to keep it going, or or does he have those other parts to his game? I don't, I don't know. I'm not panicking on him. I haven't dropped him tremendously down my board, but he's certainly kind of come out, and, and I've been like, all right, you know, I understand you want to work your your way into into who you are. But sometimes I think, all right, let's slow, slow the pump the brakes a little bit because you still have to think the game and, and you can't take these crazy shots even you know when you know you're going to get limited minutes. I, I, I don't know. Where are you at with with Dariq right now? I'm. Uh, it's tough because I'm. I, I completely agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like he was, he was one of those names coming into the year. I was so excited about because I thought if he took the next step forward, like there was just a monster on both sides of the floor, but there was a lot of caution when it comes to like, okay, he's, he's dominating some, some plays in high school. And this is what we always talk about. Like, Hey, the high school film can be a complete tease because you look and you're like, Hey, this guy's dominating. He's blowing by everyone. It's like, yeah, he's also blowing by guys that, you know, no offense, but they're probably not going to play D1 basketball. Like they're just, it, we talk about it with the big guys. We talked about it with Jalen Duran last year of like jokingly, like, okay, we don't need to watch his high school film too much because he's the incredible Hulk out there compared to who he's playing against. And he dunks everything in the world. And now lower body injuries terrify me, especially for a college kid coming into the year, because if you got a foot injury, if you got an ankle injury, knee injury, you're not working you're not running every day to keep yourself in game shape because you got to stay off it. You got to, you got to be smart about it. So I think Duke was like, Hey, we can't have him on 
this injury. We got to just wait for it to heal and then he'll catch up and get in game shape. Now, that's what I'm dreaming is they're like, hey, middle of the year, he'll be having his game reps back and he'll get himself in game shape and then we can unleash it. Because right now I'm like, oh boy, where are we, where are we heading with this? And it's going to be interesting. I feel like I'm going to get to, I feel like me and Metcalf talked about it. And I was like, what's the number of games before you start going from, you know, DEFCON 4 to DEFCON 2 when it comes to, okay, do we need to start moving them down seriously? And I feel like that 15, 16 point where it's like, okay, he's had, you know, if you want to say 10 or plus games. And if we still are at the same minute uptick or they're not extending his minutes, then we got to get a little bit of concern. But I'm like you, the, the tough shot making at high school is really interesting. And I like how you put that because like Jaden Hardy, really tough shot maker at high school. Me and you were just like in awe of some of the shots he he was hitting on film and he could still do that. And now he, I think even last night they were blowing out um, Phoenix and he came in and was going crazy right away. He's been dominating in the G league this year. I think it's only a matter of time before he, you know, sends a message to the rest of the league with the Mavericks. But like, that's a, that's a talent. That is a gift. That is an ability when you can hit shots no matter what, but some guys it's like, okay, if that tough shots all of a sudden get way more difficult with better defenders, I feel like you can really struggle to, to make a, you know, an impact. So I don't know. I'm, I'm in a weird spot with Dariq. I've moved him down a little bit, but I'm still in that like, okay, I really believe in this. I just think this, you have to get in game shape to kind of thrive at your designated role because I loved him as a defender. I loved him as a defensive prospect. And I, I do think, I think you pointed it out to me. You were like, Hey, Dariq, Dariq looks like he needs to get back in game shape. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to, yeah. to have to say when you're trying to, you know, catch up after missing a couple of games. Yeah. I, and I think the difference in like Hardy's drop versus Dariq is that Dariq does have the size and physicality to ultimately, at least you could, kind of project him to be a two-way guy and he's right. not going to be taken advantage of where people with Jaden it was like all right if he's not hitting shots I don't know if he could be on the floor because teams right. might pick on him right yes and now you know we've seen like hey he is a shot maker and I think yeah. that I and again I want to I hate this Duke team like I hate the construct of it it feels so much like a bunch of pieces that are on the floor that just don't fit together. Like I, I don't love their guard play. I don't think they get each other involved the right, the right way. And it's early. Maybe they, they write that ship, but it feels like everybody wants to hunt their own shots, you know? And, and I think that's why lively has, has struggled because he's a guy that isn't going to be able to create for himself. And now in college, he's not taking those threes that maybe you saw him take every once in a while in high school. So he's really just a, a garbage guy, Maybe he gets a pick and roll opportunity every once in a while, but you know, for the guards, like, you know, I, I feel like Dariq is a guy who is going to need a setup man way more than maybe people wanted to give credit for in the preseason. You know, he's, he's a guy that I think is, is going to be, you could run him off screens and he, he gets out. Like maybe he, he plays almost like an AJ Griffin role a little bit. And instead of being the guy who forces these tough shots, if he could eliminate that early on and just show like, all right, I could just be a nasty off ball player. Maybe that'll help. But when you play with guards that dominate the ball, you also, you get that ball and you're like, all right, I better get my shot up now. I might not get this ball back. Yes. So I, I, I do, I don't want to 
panic with some of the Duke guys because I, I think that the the fit of the team really stinks and they don't play the way, you know, a, a, an NBA offense will use them. And so in, in that regard, you know, I, I don't want to panic with some of these guys. And maybe that's why with Filipowski almost, it, it feels like he's been so much of a smoother fit because he's a guy that you knew was a complimentary piece but was going to be able to score in a bunch of different ways without the ball. And he's figured out how to do that. So when he does get it, all right, he can create a little, but he's also able to pick and pop. And, you know, he kind of, he can run off screens a little bit and he could attack closeouts and just kind of keep things a little bit more simpler than a guy like Derek was used to. Derek was used to the complicated stuff. And sometimes if you're used to the complicated, it's, it's hard to just play less complicated and, and take things out of your game. Cause you've been so used to, the heart and and that's the weird thing with Derek, right? Because he, he grew up playing with Cade and and Scotty, and so it, part of me thinks he should be used to that as well. I, but he's just been confounding for me um, because I think the situation stinks. He's coming back from injury. He's out of shape, but also some of the, con- the things I was concerned about have reared their ugly heads. So I, he's like you. I haven't dropped him too far, and Derek Lively, I haven't really dropped much at all because he was already that low on my board initially. So, but I do think. People have, you know, ultimately when we do the next draft rankings, he is going to be overall on most other boards drop. But uh, yeah, I'm not super concerned about any of these guys yet. But I, uh, like you said, as we start moving through the season and you start getting into conference play, uh, it, uh, there's potential to be a nightmare season for Duke this year that I think people weren't expecting. And, and it, it might just be because, you know, we overshot our loads on some of these guys with the rankings preseason. Coming into this year, the Duke team seemed like it was either two ways. It was either going to be just absolute anarchy with how much like talent they had in a good way, or it was going to be really, really strange of a fit. And it looks like we're trending towards the strange fit because you talked about a lot of good stuff there. I, I kind of want to go one by one. Derek is crazy because you look at him, he's played seven games. He hasn't played more than 17 minutes um, in one game. So you're clearly seeing like they're trying to build it up. They're trying to get the trust back. But, you know, he, he's his best production was he played 17 minutes, went two for nine. He had seven points. Um, he's had some games recently where a little bit more efficient. His last game against Boston College, he had 17 minutes, had six, three and two um, on three of five shooting. So those are the weird games where maybe the confidence starts clicking and all of a sudden you could go on a nice little stretch, but it's just, it it really has been a weird fit. And I I'm right there with you. That roster just seems so ugly because it, it seems like it needs another guy to just completely take over. And, and early on in the year, I was like, man, this team really needs Dariq. And then Dariq came back and I was like, Oh boy, if he's not ready to dominate, like what, where are we going with this? And Proctor's look better, but he's, I'm still, more on your island about Proctor. I'm a little bit slow. Metcalf keeps talking about his defense, and I'm like, okay, but what else? Um, and then Lively, I, I, I've I've been low too. Um, I haven't loved what I've seen. I'll leave it that way. But he's only averaging 17 minutes too. So, and Lively's weird because sometimes I, I think he has stretches where I'm like, oh yeah, like. Yes. I like what he showed there defensively. He's he's playing drop. He's playing cat and mouse. He's getting back. He's recovering. He switched out. 
He's coming over. He's blocking shots. He's doing all the things he's supposed to do. And I almost feel like there might be almost like an an overcorrection on him where people were like, All right, like I got to drop him down because he's not this guy I lived up for. Yes. And, and in, in my head, I was like, what are the chances he has the season Mark Williams had last year? <laughs> right? Like probably pretty low. Mark Williams, what what pick did he go to the the Hornets? Was it fifteen? Uh, uh, you know, 13, 14, 13, 14, 15, 15, sorry, 15 in that range. Like, yeah, borderline lottery guy. What are the chances Lively does the same things when he's he's not really any more of an offensive threat than any of those guys? Right, like, so having him drop to where he is, I almost feel like you know maybe a team can kind of get him in that same kind of range and and get really great value. But if he drops below that, it's almost like this guy could be a really fun defensive prospect. And when you put him with a an NBA playmaker with NBA space, maybe a lot of these opportunities, these cleanup opportunities and lob opportunities really open up for him. But yeah, just Duke is just a weird team. They're they're gonna confound me, I think, through the, the process. And Proctor, I mean, I, I look, I've been watching a lot of Filipowski tape. And he just misses some reads on like picking pops and driving kicks to take these tough setbacks into, you know, I think he's got that in his bag. He's obviously had a couple of highlight ones, but I'm like, I thought, I, I thought his thing was playmaking coming yeah. into the year, right? Like that's kind of what he was billed at. And maybe one of the, you know, cause the Australian point guard factory. And I've been seeing a lot less of the point guard stuff that I want to see. And now he reclassified. He's 17, right. Or he, Maybe he just turned eight. I don't know. He's one of the, he's on the younger side. He's, yes. So, you know, it, to, it's not unexpected that he hasn't figured out how to be a complete point guard yet. And I definitely think we have to remember, remember that about him. But I, I don't think he's the guy who's going to run the engine the way, like, you know, like a, they need like a Chris Duhon, somebody yes. who's like, you know, not a high level NBA guard, but somebody who's just be like, all right let's get these guys looks in their spots. And it just feels like a bunch of guys who don't know how to do that with each other yet. And for me saying, I was, I just want to point out like for everyone listening for me saying I was low on lively. I'm right there with you. There's some flashes in the game where I'm like, okay, big fella, here we go. Like you got me on the edge of my seat, but then it's just kind of fades. And I'm like, okay, do you need more sample size? Do you need more minutes? Do you need, it's just one of those like, this big class, I think, because and I don't consider Victor big. I consider him an alien. He's on a yes. different level. Um, but this big class, I feel like we're all as evaluators and we're watching this class and we're like, okay, who's going to be the guy that takes advantage of this? Because there's a lot of questions about the big class when it comes to Lively, Khalil Ware, and Daron Holmes. I, yeah, Daron <laughs> Holmes. It's, like, here, let me Trace, ask you. JD, but and then that's where Filipowski comes in. Go ahead, but I, I wanted no, to talk about. Filipowski no, you're right. Do you think that the like we're going to be just trying to convince ourselves that there has to be a, a, a big in the class? There just might not be. I think we're going to try to convince ourselves 100. percent And I, and I'm at the point where I think everyone trying to convince themselves is because every NBA teams are always going to look for it. But I think this class right now, it's like why, like what. Why would any team right now take Lively in the lottery? And I'm not trying to downplay the kid. It's just he hasn't shown that he's a lottery pick with this class because we just talked about how good the lottery looks. If you took Lively in the top 10, you're either saying it's the a horrendous fit for him at Duke this year, 
we've seen him and this could happen and they could say, Hey, we've seen him since high school. We know the type of upside he has. We would be very happy to get him at 10. That's fine. But I'm saying from the tape, I've seen so far eight games into the year, which is, you know, ridiculous to just all of a sudden make all these statements. But I'm saying you can't say right now that like, Oh, I would take lively in this class top 10. Like I would, no, 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 no. I wouldn't have taken on on Gigi Jackson. Would you be taking Gigi over Mm -hmm. him? See, I have, I have, I have, to, I have GG ranked pain. ahead. I do have GG ranked ahead of of Lively. Yes, so I would. Okay, but I, I still think I <laughs> think GG. Uh, you know, I, a lot of people love love them some GG Jackson, and I'm not a hundred percent there on GG. I think he's shown probably more than I expected. I was a little cooler on GG coming into the year, um, but. And he's shown he's exceeded my expectations again. Another guy who has reclassified, right? With Gigi coming into the year, I was like, every every time I watched a full game, like his highlights were insane. And yes. I think he's going to have one of the best highlight tapes still in college. But when I watched him coming into the year, I was like, I, I, I was like, I just need you to to try in any other aspect of the game besides you scoring. And I just, it was like hard to watch. I was like, oh, this effort level makes me want to saw my arm off. I think that that stuff is kind of taking care of itself in college. And I'm not concerned about that. I think he does, he does try. But I also, I just, this he loves taking tough jumpers. He just, he loves it so much. Yes. And he doesn't like passing much. And not to say even that maybe he's like a selfish guy who's hunting his shot. I just don't think he he has that kind of feel to be a, a natural passer. And I think that's really, really hard to, to develop. So he's kind of like this guy who he fits the modern NBA as a guy who's, you know, six ten with ball handling and, and outside shooting ability. But he also doesn't have like that requisite feel to kind of do anything else on the court other than score. So there's certainly like a role for him and his physical tools are great. I just, due to the lack of passing and maybe the, the lack of like getting downhill and, and trying to get to the rim and, and leveraging the shooting. They're just things I need to see from him, but he's so young that like you have to take into account. He's a, he's a year behind developmentally than everybody else. And, and I don't know, maybe he starts getting to the basket more and drawing free throws. And, and I, that's a, a total possibility. So, I, I'm he's confusing to me too. I need more time. I need to see him in conference play. I want to see him uh, just develop. Uh, say, be patient. You know, again, not a not a finished product. But I also I'm definitely not ready to throw my hat and and take him in in the top ten, even though he has some tantalizing stuff. He's he's a confounding guy, is is what I'll say. Yeah. I, okay. We're gonna end it with one more thing, and I'm gonna call this "Help Me Help You." Um. Little fun segment right there. Shout out Jerry McGuire. I am starting to really like Kyle Filipowski as okay. a prospect, but I'm also struggling. Now you're you're writing about him soon at NoSeilingsNBA.com. Absolutely free. There's there's my plug at the end. Should have done that a lot earlier, but it's okay. I'm learning. It's been rusty. I need you to talk to me about Mr. Filipowski because I was very very cold on him in the beginning of the year. And it was because I thought this was a potentially dominant high school player that I thought was going to be good in college, but I didn't know if I saw 
all of it translating to the NBA level. And I've liked what I've seen. Um, I like how he plays his butt off. I like how he's tough. I like how he battles. I feel like I've seen some footwork instances that I'm like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Even if it's almost like you'd rather it maybe be tuned up a little bit, like faster, but he also has some, some plays off the dribble where I'm like, okay, where's this big fella? The shot looks really smooth from outside. I'm intrigued. My problem is where am I, where are we at with him as a potential next level player? Is this, you're saying, Hey, he's going to be our five. Are you thinking this is a guy you play next to your five? that just could give you a little bit of an advantage. Is he a, a weapon off the bench? Like where are you at with Filipowski? Hit, hit me with it. Help me help you. All right. So, Filipowski came in on the draft act rankings preseason at 37, right? Yes. So I think everybody was a little bit weary of, of Filipowski. You know, you, you're like, all right, seven foot shooter, but kind of what else does he do? Is he mm-hmm. going to be able to defend? And, and I think a little teaser for, for my piece where I've, I've taken it and what I've chosen a lot to focus my writing on throughout this process is, let's look at these guys through an NBA context and what better way than to find guys who maybe share some similarities in the NBA and see if I could find patterns and, and movements and just ways that they could be used at an NBA level that will allow them to actually stick and hang. And I think, you know, we talked about it. I think that the skill level of these prospects matters more and more every year. Filipowski, I think I haven't redone my, you know, we have to put our rankings in for our new big board. That'll be dropping soon. I haven't done that fully yet, but I'm going to say that Filipowski is probably going to be somewhere around my lottery. Okay. And which is a, a far cry from where he started. Right. I've been watching a lot of Laurie marketing in, in Utah. Now, bless your, Laurie's, bless your heart. Laurie's Laurie's, uh, you know, and, and I'm a long time Laurie marketing fan. He was, Drafted by by the Bulls, and he looked awesome in Fred Hoiberg's Hoiberg's offense. Hoiberg had a, a lot of issues as a coach, but you know he didn't have the horses to run the offense he wanted to run ever. Um, but Laurie looked awesome there. He was used in so many creative off ball sets, pick and pop, coming off handoffs, being the guy who was running the handoffs. You know, allowing him to drive in kicks where he can catch attack closeouts. Jim Boylan came in, one of the worst coaches in NBA history, absolutely a travesty, destroyed everyone's confidence, is one of the reasons the Bulls, I don't Derek Rose's knee injury and Jim Boylan, like the two most catastrophic things that have happened to the Chicago Bulls franchise since uh, Jordan retired. He goes to, to Cleveland, and you start going, oh, jumbo ball, these teams are playing bigger. NBA offenses are getting wider, more spaced out. If you're skilled and you could do some things offensively, maybe you can get creative and play guys in certain ways. And then he goes to Utah. They're playing this beautiful like five-out offense where there are multiple ball handlers and guys are have freedom and like just so much spacing on the floor. And now Markinen has his confidence back and he's broke out. Now, I'm not saying that Filipowski is necessarily the same level of prospect as Laurie Markin. I think Laurie is is a slightly like uh, more flexible mover. 
Uh, but I think that I underrated how good of a mover Filipowski actually was. And I've seen a lot of similarities with Laurie Markinen and the way they move, the way they finish. I think that Filipowski isn't shooting at the level he's capable of. That dude's shot is is really freaking pure right now. And I think part of the Duke problem is, you know, they don't have a guy who could really make use of Kyle Filipowski like Mike, Mike Conley has been able to run the jazz, like a veteran like that who's going to be able to get the ball to guys where they need them. Right. He's Filipowski's not playing with guys who have the same feel as a guy like Kelly Olinick in the front court. They're not playing with the same level of spacing, but Filipowski's done some stuff offensively in multiple actions. I mean, I've seen him come off and hit threes coming off a handoff as, as the wing. I've seen him take guys off the bounce. I've seen him do some little combo moves, knocking down off the bounce threes or, you know, a one dribble pull up behind the back. He's a really creative offensive scorer. And then you can give him the ball down low when he gets a switch on a mismatch with the smaller guy on him. He's got really beautiful footwork down low, and he could also just go straight up and over. Now, one of the big differences between Markinen and Filipowski, I think Laurie has always had an underrated mean streak. Like if that dude has a head of steam, he is going to put you on a poster. He's probably got one of the best poster reels on YouTube. If somebody put that together. And I mean that with all my heart, like yeah. he as he's a nasty big dude. I don't think Filipowski can attack the rim and, and put it down on somebody like that. But I don't fully remember if Laurie was doing that at Arizona either. And maybe the added space the NBA has provided has allowed him to, you know, go to the runway to actually go and, and, throw it and yam it down on people. But I, I do think that Filipowski, the more I look at it, might not be for every team. But there are certain teams that want to run these creative offenses that I do think he's going to be able to be a really fun weapon for, for certain teams. And if you have a team with some downhill threats, like it's going to be really hard to to leave him open. Um, he's going to be able to play pick and pop with your guy. He's going to be able to slip it, and he he cuts off ball. He just has a lot of interesting tools, and I, I just think even kinesthetically, he looks like marketing. Now, there's some Kevin Love in his game too, and I'm look. We're going to do the white on white comparisons because on, on, yeah. it just they're the best ones for for Filipowski. But there's also like, is there an outcome where he's Frank Kaminsky? I don't know. I think that he's more talented than Kaminsky, right? But maybe somewhere in between the Kaminsky, the Markinen. I'm not saying he's going to be Laurie, but I. that's probably what his high-end outcome looks like. Maybe not this Utah version that's an all-star, but probably like the Cleveland, the later Chicago years where he's just a, a cog in your offense and you're able to, you know, do some stuff with him as, as a scorer and a spacer. At seven feet, I, you know, I think he's going to bring some versatility to an NBA offense. So I, I've become higher on him by watching more of how the NBA has played and how, you know, Laurie played and Kevin Love has played. And the fact that Kevin Love and Laurie Markkinen were able to play together. The fact that Olenek and Markkinen were able to play together. Because I think you could say he's got some Olenek to his game too, right? Like, I, I think that when you have these these skilled bigs, you could they're, they're really tricky when you play them off of each other. And I think that there are a lot of skilled players in the NBA that are going to accentuate Filipowski's game when he gets to that level. Now, the the defense, obviously, pe- people are going to have question marks about that. Teams are going to have question marks about it. And that's probably why he's not a top 10 pick necessarily. Because, you know, it, you get him on an island with 
Trey Young or, or or something like that. Like it it might not end well, but I do think he's shown. I thought he he defended Jalen Wilson really well in the Kansas game. Uh, I think that some of these wings, I think he's a little bit more fluid than he's going to look because sometimes he looks a little tight, but there's all, it's a weird thing because as tight as he looks, sometimes you're like, wow, that was a really, really fluid thing. So that's where I'm at with Filipowski. I'll, I'll give, you know, actual examples in, in my piece for him that's going up tomorrow where you'll actually be able to watch and say, okay, I get it. Seven foot white shooter, easy to go to Laurie Markinen. But when you actually are, are breaking the side by sides and going, this is how Laurie got this, you know, got to the bucket or, or got a score two points, three points out of this action. Okay. This is that same action. I, when you can mirror it, I think it, it'll provide kind of a clearer picture of how he could be used in the NBA versus this weird Duke offense. Corey, Corey, go ahead and uh, plug away. This was a real fun one and uh, let the people know where they can find you. Also let the people know where to read your upcoming piece. All right. You can, you can find, the whole crew at noceilingsmba.com, obviously. You can find me at Corey Tulliba, uh on the draft deck. Albert and I, later this week on this podcast feed, we'll be covering Grady Dick. And, um, you know, just hit me up on, on TikTok. You could, you could find the, the crew there at No Ceilings NBA on TikTok. I got, we all have our own personal TikToks. I'm, you know, I think uh, Maxwell's been doing a good job. The rest of the crew, I think, you know, you already got the content. Let's start posting. I'm at NBA draft dude there. Um, we got a lot of fun stuff planned for the rest of this year, man. So I'm excited to, to bust out this cycle. Cause I, I think big things ahead for, uh, for the 2023, uh, class. Thank you, Corey, for coming on everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, hope you stayed, you know, hope you didn't get insane while listening to me as a host. Um, I'm sure I'll be back in on the cycle for home and away in the near future get some more guests up on here but Corey, thanks for joining me for everybody else uh make sure you subscribe to the no ceilings podcast feed and head on over to the site no it's absolutely free you get coverage all year round we've heard from so many fans about how much it's helped them how much they've learned how much they like us you know just kidding but Thank you guys again. My name's Tyler Rucker for Corey Tolliba and the No Ceilings crew. We will see you guys next time. Have a good one.